This is a production of the Z-Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z-Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging it's time for dimland radio with your host jim dr dim fitzsimmons Hello and welcome to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play doctor online. And just a, a quick update as to the, um, the uh, status of our little corner of this neighborhood, our, our slice of Nirvana, our, our, our street in Shangri-La, our piece of Utopia in which we live, um, it's been quiet. Loud car guy has been quiet. So, you know, maybe the the altercation and the police involvement helped every, the neighbors come to an understanding. Um, there do seem to be a couple of cars uh, missing now. So, there, do, there does seem to be some more room out there. But... Yeah, there's still a hunk of crap on the corner there with a flat tire in the back, which is always good. But it's been quiet. So, you know, that's that's good. Um, I've got to, I was going to talk about this later in the show, but I figure I should talk about it at the beginning of the show, just so you guys know about this. Uh, there will not be a new uh, episode of Dimland Radio for next week. Uh, there won't be one in the chat room. There's just it, there just won't be because I'm going out of town. Uh, I'm going out to California. Uh, let's see, I'm leaving next Thursday night. Won't get back until very early on Monday morning. I'll have one of those night owl or red eye. That's what they call them, the red eye flight on the way back, which is thrilling the hell out of Amy because she's going to get up at something like four in the morning to be able to get out there and pick me up because I'm getting in at just after 5 in the morning on Monday. That'll be fun. But um, the reason going out to California, uh, I know you've heard me talk about I, I know I've talked about it before on the show. There's a, there's a friend of mine. His name is Douglas. He has a podcast called The Assault of the Two-Headed Space Mules, and it's a, it's a pop culture commentary podcast. Talk about comic books and movies and music and all kinds of things. And uh, sometimes he'll have guests on, actual guests, uh, and uh, and interview them and uh, what they're about. I think the last guest he ha- had on was a fellow that's really into the drive-in theater phenomenon, uh, which isn't much of a thing now, but back in the day. And he has a he has a Facebook page where you know in celebration of the drive-in theater, the kinds of movies that would be there and that kind of thing. And uh, he has uh, he has what he calls the Gooch Squad. This is the host of the. Two head, assaulted two headed space mules. He has what he calls the Gooch Squad. They're the gang of occasional co hosts, or group of occasional, I think it's gang, uh, and, of which I am one. 
and uh, he will bring them in. There's, there's, I think there's at least four of us. Uh, five of you include his brother, but his brother hasn't been on it too often. But uh, we will all, all of us, uh, the four of us anyway, or a core of 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 that group will join Douglas on a show on occasion to talk about whatever it is we want to talk about. We did a show uh, dedicated to Stan Lee when he passed away, and and uh, uh, and we did a, you know shows about where we have a little uh, music. You know, a song quiz. We had, you know, it was a cover song quiz. Um, we'd each pick an obscure, you know, a song, and we, you know, there's the original song, there's the cover song, and who's the artist that did the cover? And, you know, you get points for it and all that. We did that. That was kind of fun. And uh, anyway, so one of the Gooch Squad members is a fellow named Michael, and Michael is he listens to this show. Hi, Michael. How you doing? And uh, he uh, he. A few, couple few months back, well, a few months back, had an idea. He thought, wouldn't it be great if we get as many members of the Gooch Squad out to California? He'd, he'd put us up, because uh, each year out in the town that he lives in, it's called uh, Placerville. I'm not exactly certain where it is in the state. I think it's northernish California, somewhere around there. Uh, it's near Sacramento, which I don't, you know, uh, I, I don't have a map in front of me. Doesn't matter, but it's it's there. And uh, um, he, each year they have this beer fest, and he thought, "Well, be, you know, see if we can get these guys, or at least you know, try to get as many as I can of the group to come on out and uh, and you know and meet each other, because we've all just been friends through the internet. We've spoken on Skype, uh, we've or FaceTime, we've uh, stuff like that, and so we've done that kind of stuff. We've and we've of course you know chat with each other through Facebook and whatnot." And uh, we, uh, you know, says, okay, can we do this? And Douglas and I were the only two that were, um, I guess, able to shake loose some time. And uh, even though the money might be a little rough on me, but not too bad. It's not too bad. We, you know, come on. And, uh, but I, it, it, as long as Amy said it was okay. As a, my wife Amy, she she said well, it's okay. Yeah, you should do it. You should you should do it. And so so we're trying. It's not going to be uh, terrible financially. It's like I have a place to stay, and it's, so it should be interesting. Although Amy's a little worried. It's, I've never met these guys. I mean, not not in person. Uh, you know, so I, she, she says, "You sure they're not serial killers? You sure this is some kind of plot to kill you?" <laughs> I said, oh, I, "I don't think so." I hope not, but uh, I guess we'll find out, won't we? So that's what's going to happen. We're gonna—I'm going to fly out on Thursday night, and uh, and we're going to hang out for a couple of days. Uh, the beer fest is on Saturday, and then uh, Sunday we might record. The three of us might try attempt to record a podcast uh, for Douglas's show and uh, have something from that. Um, I'm not going to tell you what we're going to talk about, but we have an idea. I came up with an idea and the guys thought that was pretty good. So we'll see how that works. If it comes to fruition, we might not have time. Who knows? But uh, we'll we'll see. So no new show. I will, if I have time, which I might have time uh, to put up, uh, I'll dig through and I'll find a bonus episode. I'll find an older show to put up. So at least there's something that'll show up in the feed on iTunes. And I'll tr- if I'm going to do that, uh, it'll be, I think, Wednesday night. I'll have something. But uh, no promises other than I'll try. Alright. I was watching this movie uh, this past week. 
and I found it to be um, a little disturbing on a couple a couple levels. Uh, it, it's an American film. It's from nineteen. It was released in nineteen forty. It's called Virginia City, and it stars Errol Flynn and uh, what's her name, Mar uh, Miriam uh, Miriam Hopkins, Randolph Scott, and Humphrey Bogart. Now this is part of a DVD collection that uh, I've uh, borrowed from a friend of mine. It's a it's a it's a it's a Humphrey Bogart collection put out by Warner Brothers because Bogart did a lot of work for Warner Brothers, and it's 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 it shows his the span of his career with Warner Brothers uh, pretty much. Uh, starts off with I think the Petrified Forest, which was really it wasn't his I don't think it was his first film but it was his first kind of it wasn't his first film I think he I think he may have even made a silent film or, or two but uh, it was his first got noticed film um, he plays a character named Duke Mantee who was a criminal he's a, he's a gunman and in fact uh, the way he walks he has his arms kind of like he's holding apples in his armpits you know, they got the arms out to the side, like, a little bit, because he's always got the guns under there. Um, and even when the guns aren't there, his arms are out that held that way. He's very intense. Uh, the star of that movie is Leslie Howard and uh, and Betty Davis. They're the stars of that movie. And uh, and this this was a... Uh, it started out as a play in, on Broadway, and Bogart played the role of Duke Mantee, and then Hollywood wanted to make it into a film, but they didn't want to go with Bogart because, you know, Hollywood... It, only they want to go with the safe bets, the sure bets. We want to. Well, we don't know who Bogart is. We we don't know if he can do it, and we don't know. Well, Leslie Howard stepped up to the plate and said, "If you want me in the film, which they did, you need you you're taking Bogart because Bogart needs he, he, you know he should be in this role." So he got that role, and he got a little notice. So he started getting a little more films there, but still it was like a side side characters, not to, you know like third bill or fourth bill characters and that's that's what this collection starts off with movies like that they're more like Betty Davis films there's there's like three or four Betty Davis films in there uh, with Bogart playing you know varying size of a role depending on the film you know and uh, um, so I get to this film called Virginia City Virginia City is a western and I like westerns and it and Bogart plays a uh, a Mexican bandit <laughs> He tries to pull off a, a a slight Mexican accent, although his name doesn't sound Mexican. So I don't know what the deal is, but he's 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 in charge of these these bandits. And uh, but the main gist of the story, the star of the film is Errol Flynn, and he plays a uh, fellow who this is this is in the la last days of the Civil War, the American Civil War. Uh, at the very end of it. Um, and Errol Flynn plays a fellow, a Union soldier or captain who's uh, who's been held in some uh, uh, prisoner of war camp uh, by the South, by the Confederates, and he's trying to tunnel out and all that. And uh, he's the commandant of the camp, or the commander of the camp, is played by Randolph Scott. And it. it this, the thing that I found disturbing about the film, one of them, was that Hollywood has um, had this strange uh, attitude toward the South in a lot of their films in the early days of, of, of filmdom. I mean, right from Birth of a Nation, 
uh, where Hollywood treated the South as though, you know, they're really good guys. You know, like the Klan were shown to be good guys in the in the birth of a nation. Uh, but and and Gone with the Wind. There's a lot more sympathetic view to the Confederacy. There's a lot more sympathetic to it. And and even in this film, this film actually had a dedication. Now I the dedication made me think that this was a, based on a true story. And I couldn't find anything that said that it was there was a true story. But the the uh, the the story was is that uh, it's the last days of the Civil War. The Confederate forces and uh, the Confederate government is falling apart. The Confederate forces are barely holding together, and uh, they need they, they you know they they need money, and there's this uh, a scheme that's come up in Virginia City, Nevada. There's a bunch of gold. It's a mining town, a bunch of gold, and Southerners have gone out there to get get gold, and and they and they have it, uh, and it's it's their gold, and so what they want to do is they want to send out Randolph Scott, to and a bunch of other people to uh, to pretend that they're setting up a wagon train to head out to California, and what they're going to do is they're going to head toward California, sort of, and then they're going to swing down south, and then they're going to come back around and bring the gold from Nevada to the Confederacy so that they can fund, uh, so they can continue the war for a while. And it's five million dollars in gold, and with the, you know in those days five million dollars was uh, was like you know I don't know a couple hundred billion dollars now, I don't, not that much more, but I mean it was you know that was big money. So and, and it, so the film had a dedication to the people that were trying to bring the gold to the South, which you know. I don't know where you're from in the country if you're listening to me, and I, I know what your attitude is toward it, but the South were not the good guys. They weren't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. States' rights. It's all about states' rights. It was about states' rights. Yes, states' rights to have slaves. That's what it was about. It was about slavery. And to be sympathetic to that seems, well, I don't know, just seems wrong to me. And so when I saw that, I said, really? And, the, the, and, and there was no mention of slavery in the film. Uh, I don't think we even saw uh, any slaves in the film. I, there might have been a couple few black folks in the in the film, but they were just you know background characters. That's how it was back then. And it's I just I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Now uh, I'll spoil it. They were not able to get the gold uh, to the Confederacy, and they ended up the you know, Randolph Scott, uh, Scott ends up getting getting caught because Errol Flynn was put on the trail to stop this from happening. And uh, that happened, and he was, uh, and uh, uh, Scott's character was sentenced to death. But at the very end of the film, uh, this Miriam Hopkins, she was uh, sort of a double agent. She was, she was really for the South, but she, so, so ex, maybe she wasn't that much of a double agent. She was really for the South, and she's trying to throw off this Errol Flynn guy, but she falls in love with him, and you know, and so it got, so it got complicated. But she goes to uh, uh, President Lincoln. The war is, you know, she goes to him toward the, you know, it's the, fi it's the final days of the war. It's, it's coming to an end. It's inevitable. The South is going to lose. And this whole thing goes kerflui on them. And, 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 but the gold is hidden somewhere so that uh, when Reconstruction, when, when, when the war is over, the Southerners can use that gold to help rebuild the South. You know, that's the idea in the movie. Anyway, she goes to see the president, and he commutes the uh, 
the sentence uh, that he's that this guy's not going to be put to death, and he says he just tells her that uh, uh, General Robert E. Lee is going to be, you know, while the two of them are talking, they are meeting together to to, um, to do the surrender. Uh, it's Robert E. Lee and at Robert E. Lee and, and General Grant, they're they're you know, he's uh, Lee is surrendering to Grant and ending the war, and so you know, there's this. You know, you never, you don't see Lincoln full on. You just kind of see him on the side. You see a silhouette shadow of him and, and all that. But uh, you know, so oh, that's nice. It's, it's you know, the guy doesn't die. He seems like an honorable guy. But again, they're fighting for states' rights, states' rights to hold slaves. Um, so that I found that that attitude just kind of odd. But I guess, I guess it's not that weird. Um, I don't know. I I I I guess you can look at it this way. Like Hollywood didn't want to alienate the the southern audience for their movies, so they so they had to be somewhat sympathetic, I guess, in the films uh, that they would make. It's so it's so that the the southern audiences would see the movies. They didn't want to cut them off because you know it's all about money in Hollywood. Just you know, even though they might all talk the big commie thing, but they, when it comes to it, they want the money. So never mind. Uh, there was something else that was disturbing in the movie. Uh, it was just it was one moment in there that just made me just I I was watching it on the laptop and my wife was watching something on the Netflix on the TV and I was watching this thing and I just went <laughs> my reaction was I clenched my fist and just leaned back in my seat and went oh and that was because. Uh, at some point in the film, Errol Flynn is, is uh, he's being chased. His character is being chased. He's riding on horseback, and he's being chased by all these, you know, by Randolph Scott and a bunch of the uh, southern guys on horseback. And they're going out, and, you know, it's the western, you know, it's Nevada. It's this, this vast spaces with hills and buttes and, 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 and rocks and stuff. And he gets to what's dan, damn near a cliff, Errol Flynn does. It's not exactly a cliff, but boy, it's a steep decline, and he's he's he's, he's trapped. He's either got to give up or try to get the horse and himself down that hill. Well, that's what he chooses. So he goes down, and the horse is just managing it. Of course, now it's not Flynn on the horse; it's a stunt stunt person. So they're getting down the hill, and then at some shot at point, the shot goes even wider, goes even farther back, and at this at that point, the horse falls falls head over hooves and rolls down the hill head first rolling that way so you know the head hits the ground and then the back hooves come up and over and then the head gets the ground and does and it does that rolls down like three or four times before it hits the bottom of the hill and it's it's not a fake horse it's it's an actual horse that's this is happening to and i just went ah, yeah Get a look at and, and then the horse gets down to the bottom of the hill and it immediately gets up and it's kind of standing around and seemed to be okay. Uh, now it's dead by now, but I just went, oh, that's right. You know, in the old days of Hollywood, in the old, old days, in the old, old westerns, you watch those old westerns. That's one of the things that makes you cringe when you watch the old westerns. When you see a horse fall down, in the old days, the way they got them to do that, you're going at a gallop or a canter or whatever, they're moving along quickly enough, and the horse falls down, 
you know, they, you see the, the their front legs go out from under them and they head over forward. When that happens, that's because they've tripped over something. They, they, what they would do in those days is they would put up a trip wire so these horses would run along and the rider would know when the trip is coming, but the horse wouldn't, and boom, it would go over. That's what they used to do. Probably had a lot of uh, horses uh, break things, you know, legs and and such, and had to be put down after that. Probably had a lot of that happening back in those days. And eventually, Hollywood began to figure out, you know, maybe we shouldn't trip the horses. Uh, so then what you see happening in the Westerns when a horse comes falls down is um, uh, you, you, the rider is, you know, the horses are trained to fall at this point, and the rider, it's the rider that pulls them back and, and, and gets them to fall over. So it's it's how they do that, you know. So the horse might rear up a little bit and then go over onto its side, and that was more at least a more gentle way. And the horse at least has been trained to realize that I got to fall down when this is happening. Probably doesn't like it, but at least they're not being, you know, tripped. And I guess today, what they can do is they can, you know, with with the CGI, you know, the computer graphics getting as as good as they're getting, they don't have to actually have a horse do that they can they can do it with the computer to make it look like a horse is falling down and that way no horse is getting hurt at all a few pixels might get hurt but not the horse and but boy i tell you when i saw that thing roll head over heels i just was like or head over hooves i should say and when i said well let's see horses have heels don't they no they don't they have hooves and so when i saw that happening it was just it just i just oh i just cringed i just pulled back and and it's and that seems strange when i think about it because I mean, not strange because I feel my heart goes out to that horse. But but just a few days before that, uh, Amy and Hayden and I had watched The Godfather from 1974. You know, the classic film, The Godfather, uh, Francis Ford Coppola. It's a the family, you know, the, the the mafia. Well, they never say the mafia in there, but it's a, it's a you know, it's a family business. It's just business. Uh, we're watching that. And it's, Hayden had never seen it, and we, I just uh, I borrowed it from the, the, the comic book store. It came in, and so the, the set of all three movies, uh, Godfather 2 II and 3, along with the first one, I thought, well, I've never seen the third one, and I've only seen the first one a couple of times. I've only seen the second one once, so let's bring that back. So Hayden said, well, let's watch Godfather. So we did, and you know there's a scene in there where a horse's head ends up in the bed of some movie mogul, and it's an actual horse's head. Uh, they went to some, you know, butcher thing where the horse was going to be made into glue or whatever they do, you know, dog food and glue, and they got a head from it and put it in the... I mean, it was an actual horse's set, so I saw that, and I knew that was coming, but I didn't realize this horse was going to be falling down the hill. Uh, and before I get to my break, as long as I'm talking about The Godfather, Abe, Abe Vigoda has a small part in that film, an important part, Small part in the film where he plays the head of a of a of a of a smaller crime family, not the big crime family, the the, Corle the Corleones, not that he's a he, he plays Tessio or something like that, and and he's you know he's, he's older guy obviously, and because uh, what other role could Abe go to play? I mean the guy was born looking like he was ninety years old, and he's he's uh, uh, I'm watching this movie and I looked it up. Um, and I turned to you know to my my wife and my son, and I said, when when Abe Vigoda was on screen, I said, I, me, I, your husband, your father, I am older than Abe Vigoda was when he made that movie. 
He was 50 when he made that movie. I'm 54. I said, I'm older than him. <laughs> That's, uh, it's it's mind-boggling. Anyway, what isn't mind-boggling is being able to get to the uh, first break in the show. You're listening to Dimland Radio on the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I will return after this break. I was a highwayman Along the coach roads I did ride With sword and pistol by my side You're listening to Z-Talk Radio The number one choice for music, sports, news, and talk radio So keep that dial locked to ztalkradio.com You're listening to Z-Talk Radio's Red-Headed Stepchild. It's Dr. Dim on Dimland Radio on the Z-Talk Radio Network. This is Chicago-style hot dog here. I'm not feeling too good. Turns out, along with all the other bad things my cholesterol does, they say it's a risk factor for strokes. Strokes? Sheesh! Good news from National Stroke Association. Exercising, eating right, and asking your doctor about medicines that can help lower your cholesterol, like statins, may reduce the risk of a first stroke. And if you've already had a stroke, it's even more important you lower your cholesterol. Lower your chances of stroke by controlling your cholesterol. Visit stroke.org today. Hey, this is Danny Potts from the Kentucky Ghost Chasers, and you're listening to Z-Talk Radio. And welcome back to Dimland Radio here in the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. So, um, I am uh, uh, getting a bit anxious about the, the trip out to California. I'll be flying. Uh, I haven't flown for a long time. It was uh, the fall of 1996. It was the last time I'd done any flying. And... Um, uh, the first time I'd flown somewhere was in uh, February of 1995. <laughs> uh, I had been in a heavier-than-air machine that has gone up into the air uh, when I was three. Uh, uh, when when my family got you know took a ride in one of those take off the water and land on the water planes. I think they call them Jesus planes because they walk on water. Anyway, um, I have vague, vague, vague memories of that, which are not reliable at all. We just my parents confirms that it did happen. We the family did get in this thing and we flew flew around. And then uh, sometime in the mid 70s, uh, when we moved into this neighborhood in 1973, where my parents live currently, where they live, and down the ways was uh, there was a uh, um, uh, it there was a big old building that was turned into a bank. And it was a, and, you know, the bank that had been a few blocks away, the other way they had moved to this one. So this was a new building for the bank, and there was a big celebration for the new new bank. And one of the things that they just, they did with it was helicopter rides. I don't know if they were free, 
for you know or if you had to pay for the rides I don't know but uh, see my my mother's uh, uh, brother was uh, a vice president at the bank and so he so if there was any paying for the uh, helicopter ride normally he worked it so we got on there for free but they might have been free rides for everybody I, I can't remember but got you know my younger brother and I got a helicopter ride from there and so you just take you up and flip you know zip you around a little bit and then bring you back down that was that was the extent of my flight experience prior to 1995 uh, in the in late 1994 my friend John and I now in the 90s um, my friend John and I we would go on road trips starting in 92 or something like that uh, we would go on road trips. We'd just drive out to, you know, one, one year we went uh, with another friend, went out east, went to Toronto, uh, spent a day and a half in New York City, and, you know, went out that way. And then John and I, uh, just the two of us, we went a couple of years going out to the west uh, part of the country and uh, go out west and went up, you know, went up, start up north and came down a bit and then went, you know, just trips out to the, out to the west. And, um, we in in late 1994, John and I. This is back in my 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 much more active drinking days. We're sitting at the bar, and he says to me, uh, "You know, plane fares to London are really affordable right now. I mean, they're they're really cheap, and we ought to go." It wouldn't you know? What do you think? And I said, "Okay." <laughs> so uh, I I I had to get a passport and everything I'd never had one and this was going to be my first flight anywhere it was out to London and it's first time flying in a pressurized cabin and so we are flying over there and it was fine it's like a seven hour flight something like that and uh, as we're coming in to you know to land at the Gatwick airport we're descending I noticed something. <laughs> Somebody had put a fishbowl over my head. Not literally, but that's what it felt, because that's how it sounded. It sounded like my head was dipped in water or something. Like it's like just my ears were beginning to close up. But not only that, they started to hurt like hell. I mean, it felt like uh, first my head is put in water and then a needle is being put into the ear canals on either side of my head and piercing into my eardrums. It was just. And. I, I I looked around at my friend John. He's just sitting there calmly, and the rest of the passengers the same way. And the flight attendants are doing the same thing. And and I'm saying I'm thinking to myself, is everybody in this pain? <laughs> I didn't say anything. I I, I, I should have said something to John. He says, is is this hurting you? And hello, Kitty. How are you? Are you good? I'm doing a show now. Does it matter to you? You can move along now. Okay, kitty. Anyway, the kitty just came off the porch. So I'm looking around at everybody else, and I'm saying, uh, this, is this everybody going through this? Well, apparently not. This is something that happens. Uh, I, so I was a little concerned that this is going to be a problem. And so I looked it up on the, uh, on the uh, Mayo Clinic's website, and it's, it can happen. So what you're supposed to do, you know, chew gum, that helps, uh, or, or suck on some hard candy. So they say yawn and swallow, which sounds dirty. And uh, but you know, you do that. That'll help 
equalize the pressure inside your head to the that of the cabin and help balance things out. Uh, or you can do what's called, and I wrote it down, you can do the Valsalva maneuver, which also sounds dirty. And what that is, is you, uh, you, you gently blow through your nose, but you you pinch your nostrils closed. So you close your nose, you blow through it, you keep your mouth closed, and you'll get that pressure inside your head. And you do that, you might have to do that, uh, you know, a few times as you descend. They also tell you don't, don't sleep and take off and descend. Don't, you know, when you're going up and going down, don't sleep during that and uh, have that. So hope that's what I'm going to try. I'm going to have some gum with me and I'm going to go through that and hopefully I won't be in so much tremendous pain because, oh, and then when, and then for, uh, it wasn't so bad in London. Uh, my ears, I think, cleared up okay, fair enough. But when we came back five days later, coming into St. Paul or into the Minneapolis-St. Paul airport, my ears did it again. And then I think it was one ear was plugged for I know, several days. And that's, ugh, ugh, I hope that doesn't happen again. I'll let you know when I do my show after I get back from California. So remember, remember there will be no new show next week. There might be a bonus show that I'll put up. I was watching this uh, YouTube deck, uh, documentary. It's, it's called uh, Always Amazing. It's a documentary about Amazing Jonathan. You might recall Amazing Jonathan. He was a, uh, or it still is, a magician, comedian. He would, uh, um, you know, he, he, was, he would do these pretty, you know, uh, gross, in-your-face, uh, scary routines. You know where he looked like he's cutting himself and he's bleeding, and he just, you know, he just he shocked the people. But he was very funny, in, in how he did it. And I, I learned about this documentary. It's new, uh, and uh, it, I, the, the fellow who made the, who directed the documentary, who made it, was on Doug Loves Movies, which is a podcast I listen to. And he said, "Well, it, it's we put it up on YouTube. It's free." Just watch it on YouTube, so I'll link to it in the show notes, which you can get to by going to dimland.com. Click on the blog option, and you will, you'll get to the show notes, and uh, so you'll find it there. And uh, I'll link to it so you can watch it. Uh, it's really good. It's touching. Uh, I did not know this about. I did not know much about Amazing Jonathan. It's got um, David Copperfield is in there. Talks about him, and uh, Pendulette's in the in the documentary. And he also gives his impressions of uh, how great Amazing Jonathan was or is. Uh, there's uh, there's some sadness to it. Amazing, you know, Jonathan is still alive. He's still with us, but uh, he's not in the best health. Uh, but there's a story in there of a friendship that developed. Um, Jonathan went down to Australia to do a show, and this 12-year-old boy was brought by his by the you know the 12-year-old's father brings him to this to this performance, and the kid is just wowed by it. And um, I won't go through all the details, but the two of them end up you know becoming friends, and the kid begins to work for. Uh, for Jonathan, and he manages his, he becomes a road manager for him, and the kid himself becomes a performer. It's really kind of cool the way uh, the relationship built between the two of them, uh, and that's fun to see. But I'm bringing it up because uh, the, the the kid, the young fellow, his name is Joel Osborne, 
uh, at the end of the documentary, which they do so often in, in documentaries, they'll have the credits are going, but then they'll have a little inset picture where they'll have sort of the the outtake. You know, so they'll have some outtakes that they that they decided not to put into the main documentary, but they thought was interesting enough to keep people through the credits. And uh, they're talking, and it starts off with uh, Joel trying to convince Jonathan that because science doesn't know everything, uh, the paranormal or the supernatural is real. Uh, now, those weren't his exact words, but that's what that's the kind of argument he was making. He was saying, you know. In the of all of the stuff to know about the universe, that we know so little, and Jonathan is saying, "Well, yeah, well, we know, but we know it because of science." And 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 he's, and the kid says, "Well, yeah, but if you if if look at it this way, it's like if you got a glass of water, that's what science knows about the world. And, you know, is that glass of water in comparison to the ocean?" I said, that "Was this analogy he was making?" And and that and I saw that and I said yeah but that that may be true that there might be such a vast amount of stuff that we don't know it doesn't mean <laughs> because he would go and say so you know it, wouldn't it stand to reason that maybe that the, there's just there's something there you know that's that's what people who believe in paranormal and super, supernatural that they think well there's so much we don't know that that the stuff that we don't know could have the the magic in it you know they're arguing that magic exists because uh because there's so much we don't know now as a skeptic i don't look at it that way uh i look at it as um you know if you yeah if you take that glass that's got water in it now if you want this glass to go to become uh, the size of a, of a of a bucket, yeah, and then from there to go to, to be you know the size of a of a, a wading pool, and then to a you know an Olympic pool, and then up to a a pond, and then up to a lake, and then maybe up to this whole ocean. You need science, the tools of science to get there, to know that stuff. You know that's how that's how we will get to know it. it, it, it if 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 we abandon science right now, we won't we won't we won't go any farther than that glass of water. We're not going to go any farther than that. It's we might even go back. Boy, we are slipping back in some ways because of ignorance of science and and a certain distrust of science. Even though, in general, the public still trusts science and scientists there's there's an undercurrent i mean we got the flat earth thing coming up we've got we've got anti-vax happening we've got uh, you know it just it's just this like glyphosate is about to it's probably going to get end up getting a worldwide ban that's a that's a that's a herbicide or a pesticide or something that is used in order to not uh you know so food crops can grow properly and grass can grow properly and there's not weeds all over the place and all that kind of stuff and it's far better for the environment and it's far safer for the environment and for people and all that than any other thing but because anti-science has taken a hold and people who don't understand it they they they, they hear the fear mongering being given about it they were you know uh there are there are juries giving awards to people because uh, glyphosate start, it caused their cancer which it didn't it's not possible uh it's you know, we're going to get rid of the glyphosate, which works, and then we're going to go to stuff that uh, doesn't work as well and is more and that that is hazardous. 
It's ugh. It's just all a bad. It's just sick. <laughs> so that's what I was thinking of. It. I just got to the end of this documentary, and the and this this young fellow starts saying this about the stuff we don't know. Well, you know, okay, that's true. There's a lot of stuff we don't know, but that doesn't mean that we can then claim to know that it's supernatural. It doesn't mean. And what we've what we've done thus far, what we've come up thus far to this point. We haven't had magic be the explanation. I will quote Tim Minchin. I quote him on occasion. His his uh, his beat poem uh, "Storm," which is uh, it's it's about Tim Minchin, a skeptic, uh, meeting up with somebody who's not, and that somebody starts spouting, you know, um, it, you know the the beliefs of somebody who who's not skeptical enough, uh, and and how he uh, turns the tables on the person. And in there, he says this line. Throughout history, every mystery ever solved has turned out to be not magic. It's possible that at some point in the future, something will turn out to be magic. But the track record is anything that was mysterious, that finally got solved turned out not to, you know, it's not magic. It's not supernatural. It's not, it's not paranormal. It's, we thought it was, people thought it was before, but now, you know, using the tools of science, it's been explained. But that doesn't put an end to it. That's the thing about science. It's always willing to change. It's always willing to say, look, even, you know, even the most, the most uh, backed up theory that there is with evidence and all that is still subject to change should better evidence come along that says, oh no, we're a little bit wrong here. Uh, you know, we we hear about uh, you know human beings. Uh, our ancestors go back so far in the past, right? That we they go back to here. Here's where we uh, broke off from the common ancestor to chimpanzees and bonobos. Here's where we broke off. But then we find you know scientists find some uh, you know more remains of, uh, of fossils of uh, of uh, human ancestor that is dates back even farther you say ooh we've got to push this back because we've got good evidence here that it goes farther it's got, it changes it does not just say nope this is what we figured out and it it's not going to change well science changes sometimes it it's not easy but you know it but that's but it changes over time that's how we advance and I'll co I'll quote another comedian or at least paraphrase another comedian that you know, when he's, his name is Dara O'Brien, uh, he, he has a science background, he's, he's, uh, he's an Irish comedian, he has a science background, and he's, when he's confronted with the, with somebody saying, well, science doesn't know everything, and he says, that's right, science knows it doesn't know everything, otherwise it would stop. Well, I'm not going to stop, but I am going to take a break, my second break of the show. Uh, you're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dimpit Simmons. Just sit there or hit the advance button, whichever you do. I'll be back. Station identification. You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. 
Operating frequency on ztalkradio.com. Remember, there's no hugging in the chat room. You're listening to Dimland Radio on ZTalk Radio Network. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think Bigfoot is real? Do you suspect that your neighbor is really Val Tor, leader of the lizard people of Bendar 3? Well, Dr. Dim doesn't, and he'll tell you why when you tune in to Dimland Radio Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern on Talk Radio Network. It's an hour of science promotion, pop culture rants, personal observation, and of course, skepticism. Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, for Dimland Radio on Talk Radio Network. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. And welcome back to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Those brakes just aren't long enough, especially when you're hitting the advance button, right? They go by too fast. I mean, you, you think about it from my point of view. You're popping through them so quick, and the next thing I know, I'm talking again. <sighs> you know, I, I take the brakes, so I just kind of rest the voice for a little bit. But when you, advance, when you advance through it, wait a minute, that's not exactly how it works, is it? Okay, anyway... What else have I got for you? I have a Dimland Radio Science Zero, uh, and it's kind of it's it's a bit of it's a bit disappointing to have to you know in the, at least this aspect to uh, put the label on this particular uh, group. Uh, it is it's the Who? No, not the one you think. Yeah, I know you're listening to Dimland Radio, the the unofficial fan club of the Who, the band the Who. No, I'm talking about the World Health Organization. Uh, now, I'm not going to go deep into this because I'm a little, you know, I'm not a doctor. I just play one. Online. I play doctor online. Uh, I screwed up the line there. Jesus, I'm so stupid. No, I'm not. Anyway, um, sorry, just drifting for a moment there. It, uh, it it came up at the um, at the Minnesota Skeptics meetup that we just did, and it was mentioned to me. And as you can talk about it, and I says, "Well, I'll hit on it, but I will refer you guys to. You can go to the show notes page. Remember, dimland.com blog option. You'll find the show notes. Uh, the Skeptics Guide to the Universe. That skeptical podcast is out there. It's really good. It's a good podcast. I enjoy listening to it." Uh, and they talked about it, and then there's an article written by the host of that podcast, a Dr. Steve Novella. He's an actual doctor. He's a neurologist, you know, but he's, a, he's an actual medical doctor. He's not a chiropractor. <laughs> he's not a reflexologist. He's not a naturopath. He's an actual doctor. Trained in science-based medicine, he has a uh, he he and a few other uh, medical people started a blog called Science-Based Medicine, and they make a distinction between evidence-based medicine and science-based medicine because evidence-based medicine is a little wishy-washier. 
uh, anecdotal evidence is evidence. It's not great evidence, but it's it's still evidence. So, you know, anecdotal evidence is using that is using evidence-based medicine. So when they said we got it, we we need to call it science-based medicine. It's medicine that's been tested through the methods of science, that's been shown to work. Tested against placebo, tested you know in, in double-blind testing, and that so that that show that it actually works. And um, he's the the the, the uh, skeptics ought to be, and he certainly is upset at what the World Health Organization has done. Uh, I have a little bit of the article that he wrote here that I'll, I'll read to you. Um, they've, they've the World Health Organization has uh, this um, kind of a um, guidelines uh, codes that they have. They call it uh, ICD, and I didn't. Uh, damn it! I didn't write down what ICD is. <laughs> oh, you see, I'm not that pedantic. People say I am. Oh, no, you really are. No, I'm not. If I was that pedantic, I would have this written down. It's just ID, ICD. I'll have the article linked to it. You'll be able to read it. And you know, It's like international diagnosis. Something about the diagnosis. Um, and uh, I'll just read this from uh, Novella's uh, blog. Uh, the ICD codes are as the name implies, an international standard of medical diagnoses, or diagnoses. Diagnoses? Is that the word? That's the word. Uh, they are used in the U.S. for billing and epidemiological records. All doctors are familiar with them, and many uh, are not fans. Uh, the codes are obsessively at the end of split... Or at, the codes are obsessively at the splitter end of the spectrum and can make an otherwise simple task rather challenging and frustrating. But at least they are based in reality. So what, uh, what the World Health Organization has done is it's essentially endorsed traditional Chinese medicine, which, uh, which a lot of, you know, TCM, and a lot of people think traditional Chinese medicine. Well, it's it's ancient, and you know, so they argue from from antiquity, and you know, uh, you know, the Chinese swear by it. You know, argument from popularity or whatever these fallacies are. And it, but um, uh, I'll mention again, Dara O'Brien in that routine when he talks about science. Knowing it doesn't know anything, otherwise it would stop. He talks about herbal medicine, or as the uh, as the people on the UK side of the oceans call it, herbal medicine. Uh, he said that uh, it, that uh, it's natural, and that people like to put that you know that's that makes it better or something, but it's not. But he says that uh, it's been tested. You know, this the medical science has come along and said, okay, you've got these herbs and these roots, and you've got these things that you're giving to people to to help them with uh, pain and other medical conditions and such. Let's test this stuff and see if it actually works. And so uh, they've they've done that. And as uh, O'Brien uh, O'Brien puts it, he says that which they found to work became medicine. And the other stuff was a nice soup or potpourri or something. That's his joke. Okay, continuing with Steve Novella's piece here. Uh, with the coming of the ICD-11, that's this new code system that's coming out that the World Health Organization has put together, 
there's a chapter in it on traditional Chinese medicine. Uh, it's so there is no way to honestly view the TCM chapter as anything other than a full-throated endorsement of pseudoscience in medicine. It describes the TCM entries as including symptomatology, uh, signs, symptoms, or unique findings by traditional medicine uh, diagnostic methods, including inspection uh, such as tongue examination, history taking, an inquiry, um, listening and smelling examination, palpitations such as a pulse taking, abdominal examination, and other methods. The specific TCM methods are nothing but superstitious quackery. Tongue examination, smelling, and pulse diagnosis are not valid methods of medical examination and do not relate to any actual disease or illness. They are the equivalent of the medieval European practice of carefully examining the color of urine in order to make diagnosis, diagnoses. Uh, they are as scientific as iridology or phrenology. Iridology is where uh, the practitioner of this medicine, in quotes, will look into your eyes. They'll look at your iris and they'll see you know, it's like reading tea leaves. Oh, you've got a fleck over here, and you've got a little thing. Oh, that means that you've got this, and oh, that means that you're deficient in something. Is it really the how? How is it? There's what is the correlation between what your eyeball looks like and what illnesses you might have? Uh, I'm sure there are something you know, like if you've got constricted uh, blood vessels in your eyes, if they if they, if, they, if that could that could be diabetes, but the way your iris looks. And phrenology is the bumps on the head thing, and it's it's they're both bullshit, and and it was it's very disappointing that the World Health Organization, which wants to improve the health of the people who live in the world, they want to eradicate diseases that you know that can be eradicated. They they you know they they, they push for vaccination, which is good. They do they do good stuff, but then they do something like this, which is as uh, the novella put it. Uh, it's it's uh, uh, it's it's anything other than a full-throated endorsement of pseudoscience in medicine. That's what it is. It's a full-throated endorsement of pseudoscience of magic. It works by magic. That's what this is, and that's why it's so disturbing, and and that's why they are uh, Dimland Radio Science Zeros, uh, the World Health Organization. Just for this, they're heroes in other ways, but they're a zero here. Well, let's see. Before I go, um, I've got I've got one cool thing, but it's also a creepy thing. It's a creepy cool thing. Uh, you may have seen an image from this as a, as a meme. I guess it was a popular meme thing. But for, I saw this image, and uh, our Amy sent it to me. She sent me a GIF that uh, of a or a GIF, you know, whichever you want to call it. She sent me a GIF of uh, of it's black and white, and it's of a it's obviously not a real pig. It's like a pig mask with its tongue sticking out. And, and it's got these sharp teeth. I don't know if pigs have sharp teeth or not. And it's wearing a top hat. And it's like, what is, what is this from? She, says, she said, uh, Amy said to me, she says, it's from some old film or something. So I started looking for it, and I found it. Uh, it's from a film that's, that's called The Dancing Pig, and it's from 1907. So that's, that's well over 100 years ago, and which is cool. 
that's cool <laughs> to, that's, to have a document uh, from that time period and uh, the, the link that I'll, I'll, I'll put you to where there's an article about it uh, connects it to vaudeville which was a form of entertainment on the stage where these shows would go around the country and, and they, they, they have little skits and comedy acts and songs and dancing and things it's, just, it's vaudeville Somehow this is connected to vaudeville. I, I'm maybe maybe somebody dressed up as this as a pig. So what you see in the film is uh, is, a, is a young woman. Uh, she's uh, uh, she's having a little picnic, I guess. And this this giant pig, the size of a man, comes in. It's somebody in a pig costume comes in. He's wearing a top hat and tails, and he starts to show uh, affection. For this woman, and she doesn't want his attentions, and uh, she ends up tearing his 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 clothes off, and then humiliating him, and then and then making him dance with her, gives him a kind of a pom pom thing, and they dance together. And at the end of the film, the last few seconds of the film, is a close up of the face of this thing, and its mouth is moving up and down, and it, its nose is turning, and its eyes are looking around and closing and opening and looking, and this tongue comes out, this long tongue. <laughs> And it is, it is one of the creepiest things, and yet it's really cool. I, they don't know who directed it. They don't know where it came from. Well, other than it's a French film, it's just, it's just, it's just bizarre. Uh, I think it's cool. I hope you've had at least one cool thing happening for this week. Three would be better, but at least one cool thing. Don't you think? Good no, night. You do. Oh, there we go. Good night, Frau Blucher. Oh, I seriously had uh, doubts that I would have enough for a show today. Maybe I didn't have enough, but I did get through one. You've been listening to Dimland Radio. Uh, be skeptical. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, reminding you all to sleep the lights off. Remember, no new show next week. check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option and you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission. Production of the Z Talk Radio Network. Oh, and uh, before I let the show completely end here, I, I do need to make a little correction. Uh, last week, when I was talking about the cat thing, declawing them, and, and all that, I, I kept I said twice 
that the cats could be exposed to female viruses. I meant to say feline viruses. I Sorry, I'll return you to the end of the show. And now, a message to our competitors. Thanks, Thanks for, for tuning us in. in. My life, you're clever, Jim. It's certainly taken me in. Well, well I'm going, going to hell. hell.